Thank you for listening to the sermons here at Ascension Lutheran Church. Our worship services happen on Sunday mornings. 8.30 is our traditional worship service, and 10.30 is our contemporary worship service. We'd love to see you on a Sunday morning. You can visit us also on our website at www.alcrpv.org. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us this day and this time that we might be called your children. Lord, we ask that as you set forth before us this message, that it is yours and not mine, that you take this time and you transform it into something new, holy, given for you. Lord, we know that each of us comes in with our burdens from the weak, and we need to hear good news, hope. Lord, chisel out eyes and ears out of our granite heads so that we might receive your gospel. Infuse the words with your Holy Spirit. Let there be less of me and more of you. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our risen Savior and Lord. Amen. Amen. I've been listening to um, this book recently, uh, Faith, Hope, and Carnage. And it is um, a conversation between these two, Nick Cave and Sean O'Hannigan. And they're talking about a lot of different things. And Nick Cave is the singer of a band, um, The Bad Seeds. And um, he's been around for a long time. And in the midst of this book, uh, there's a conversation about faith that is really fascinating to me. And discussing the things of faith, and and the Nick Cave is is talking about his faith amidst doubts and his struggling faith, and and how he lost his son and is struggling with his faith, but also very um, finding very much hope in his faith. And he has a line in this book that just kept coming up to me this last week. And talking about, because the conversation Sean O'Hannigan has drawn more towards what he would call the rational. And he's saying, well, you know, I, I like things to make sense and be rational. And there's this line that stuck out where he said, what do you do when the rational world is no longer rational? What do you do when everything that you thought you had made sense of, everything that had fit nicely and worked together, no longer works together and is no longer rational? What do you do with that? And I think it's a beautiful thought because so many of us would like things to fit cleanly in boxes and be, you know, just what made sense. But there's enough living in this room to know that that's not ever how it goes. So what do we do? Well, I think for many of us, this is the place where the arts come in. This is the place where music speaks to us in a way that is deeper than rationality or beautiful art or story. And I think story has been the way for us to try to sift through a world that doesn't make sense, but grab onto things, um, um, fairy stories or, or tales of the people that keep us together. And the storyteller has always been a really important part of the culture. We go back, way, way back, and the people who would gather, when they gather either at celebrations or um, in the evening around a fire, there'd be somebody designated to tell the story, to tell the story of the people and, and who are you and, and what are you doing? 
And this storyteller would tell the story. He trained somebody else up to tell the story. We're a people who love stories. We've always loved stories. And the story continues, right? We think about throughout history, we've had great authors telling us stories. We've told fairy stories to our children. Um, We love watching movies and television shows. Stories bring us out of ourselves and into something new and something different. And they grab a hold of our hopes. They carry us through those times when the rational world is no longer rational. And the gospel steps into this place and tells us the greatest story that's ever been told. And I want us to look at this story, and I want us to look with the idea of a story carrying us in the midst of a world that doesn't always make sense, the story carrying us forward. So let's tell this story. Let's get into this story and and have it bring us through a world that doesn't always make sense. Okay, so every story has a setting. The setting is Genesis 1. The story starts with God creating. And when we think of God creating, I don't want you to think of it like it was his chore. Like, well, okay, today, you know, take out the trash, do the dishes, create the earth. These are the things I have to do today. No, there is a joy in creation. There's a joy in God creating. Why? It's because it's who he is. Right? What is something inside of you that you just do because it's who you are? Maybe um, it's a certain kind of exercise or a sport you play or, or like Townsend, creating music. Or maybe you're a storyteller or a poet or a writer or a drawer or, or whatever it is. Who is it? Who you are. This is what came out of God, his creation. And at the end of his creation, he made the pinnacle, the king, the highlight of creation. You know who that is? It's you and me. The the most important part of creation, the part he delighted in the most. You know, we hear um, Jesus even say, well, you know, the sparrows have a nest and the flowers of the field are beautiful, but aren't you worth more than many sparrows or many flowers of the field? You are the created being. You are the pinnacle of creation. Whenever things just feel like they're not working out, look down at the fact that God made you. He gave you a body, and you are the king of creation. And what a glorious place to be. You matter because God made you. The setting is in this beautiful garden. God made his people, and we have the man, and we have the woman, and there they are in the garden, and everything is good. And enter in then the other character, and in every great story, what do we have but conflict, right? We have a conflict, and in comes the serpent, And the serpent says, do you think that God really wants you to live this way? Don't you think he's holding things back from you? Don't you think he wants you to grow in faith? There's all sorts of ways you can play with this idea of temptation. But what ends up happening is the characters, the great characters of the story, they end up saying, you know what? We want to do it our way. We want to do what we want to do. We're not going to listen to God's way. We're going to go our own way. And every one of us in this room understands that. Because it's what we do, right? It's not, it's not fair to say, yeah, those men and women, man, back then, they really messed up. If I was in the garden, huh, I wouldn't have made those decisions. It would have been just me and the fruit, naked, all good. But no, what do we do? We sin every day, right? All we need to do is look to yesterday, 
a convicting, um, a convicting thing I read just recently said, I want you to think of the greatest sinner that you know. Now, if you're not thinking of yourself, let's confess again. That's a tough pill, right? Because all of you went Hitler. But if we're not going, oh, I'm the greatest sinner I know. I need redemption. The Bible talks about sin. Um, One of my favorite verses, the way it talks about sin is in this way in Judges, the very last verse. At this time, there was no king in Israel. People did whatever they felt like doing. Didn't matter what other people needed, what other people wanted. They did whatever they felt like doing. Another way it's translated is they did what was right in their own eyes. People just went around with blinders on, doing whatever they wanted to do every moment, not thinking, considering anybody else, just my way. We are great at sinning. We have gone the other way. And if we're honest, we would be totally understandable if God said, forget it, I'm done with these people. They've gone their own way. They do their own thing. They just constantly do whatever they want to do at the moment. Forget it, I'm done. And all of us would say, yeah, 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 I get it. Because there's times I want to be done with that too, right? You're just, oh, I'm done. But God doesn't give up. And so amidst this story, amidst this conflict, amidst this wrong, amidst these great sinners doing these things, God drops these beautiful little clues. And like a good mystery novel, you have these little things happening where God goes, this is not the end of the story. In fact, right at the beginning, right when the people mess up, when they do their own way and go their own way, when God is cursing the serpent, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head. Other translations say he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, if you were to prefer having your head crushed or your heel struck, which do you choose? Right? Pretty easy. The one who wins here is the one who crushes his head. Right at the beginning, God says, there's coming a day when that will be destroyed. And this idea, these clues get dropped all throughout the Old Testament. And they're wondering, what's going to happen? God hasn't given up on his people. How is he going to redeem us? How is he going to save us? And so we start looking at the scriptures and we see in Isaiah 53, who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity. And as the one from whom others hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him of no account. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases, yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. And the question is asked, well, what's going to happen then? Who is this? Who's going to come and redeem? What, what can we do? And God leaves this clue here for Isaiah 53, and the people ponder and they wonder. And if we were to, I mean, we could spend all day going through these. 
right? We could spend all day. Um, Luther has a great line where he says, Christ is on every page of the Bible. The challenge is just for us to find him there. Looking for Jesus everywhere. Another one, though. Well, give us another one. Okay. Ezekiel. One of my favorite images of what God's going to do. Ezekiel, prophet, is looking out over a valley of dry bones. And I love the fact it's not just bones. Because bones would be hard enough. But it's not just bones. It's what? Dry bones. Which to me says what? Really dead. Dead, dead, dead. No hope dead. You know, dry death. And then he looks over this and, and um, he goes, what can happen? He said to me, mortal, can these bones live? And well done, Ezekiel, because his answer is better than mine. But you know what my answer would have been? Nope. Never seen bones like this live. But what does he say? He says, oh, Lord God, you know. And in that, then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. Oh, what a day. And as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. And the story goes on, and it says, and tell them to breathe, and breath goes into them, and this valley of dry bones becomes his people. God takes dead things and brings them to life. These clues dropped. Isaiah 53, Ezekiel, what's going on? What's God going to do for his people? Dry bones living. All of this is coming. You can just see the excitement building, right? Okay, what's going to happen? Things are bad, but what's going to happen? And then they wait. And they wait. And they wait. And I want to give you a word. I've taught you this word before, and it is okay if you don't remember the word. But the word I want to give you is this beautiful word called eucatastrophe. Okay? Maybe you don't remember it. Emily remembers it because I constantly irritate her with the word. And I'll tell you why. Eucatastrophe. There's a moment in every great story when all hope seems lost. Okay? Imagine Sleeping Beauty and the castle, and the castle is covered in ivy, and there's no hope, and you think, I guess she's just stuck in there forever. Imagine the Death Star looking down upon the planet, charging up its beams, and Luke Skywalker is flying in there, and you're thinking, he's not going to make it. Every great story has these moments where it seems like all hope is lost, and then something happens, and everything changes. And those are the reasons we live for this moment. It's the, it's the moment when the rational world seats being rational, and you wonder, where is their hope? And you go to these stories and go, maybe there will be a day. The catastrophe. And the reason that, uh, that Emily gets irritated is um, sometimes intentionally in order to irritate her. What, you don't get irritated? A little bit. But... Other times, just because, but I'll point out, oh, here it is. Here's the catastrophe. This is the moment. 
And you wait and you know it's about to happen. And so for, for 300 years, God is silent. There's all these stories about valleys of dry bones and, and the suffering servant and, and Genesis 3, the crushing his head, but nothing's happening. And then the Greeks come in and they conquer and they take over and the Romans come in and they destroy the temple. And you think there's no hope. What's going to happen? And they're waiting. And then a star rises in the east. And the wise men look and say, something, God's up to something. And there's a baby born in Bethlehem. And God came out of heaven into a baby and lived a real life and walked around on the planet. And then you heard, right, what John the Baptist? Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Do you see him? I saw him baptized and the spirit of God descended and the skies opened up and descended on him. Everyone, there he is right there and he's walking around and he's healing people and he's causing the dead to be raised and the deaf to hear and the mute to speak and the lame to walk and the blind to see and all of this is going on and people are following him and he feeds 5,000 people and they're going, this is it. This is the guy. It's happening. It's here. Wow, look what's happening. And then you know what happens? Rome comes in and Rome does what it does and it puts him on a cross and he dies and he expires and he breathes his last and he says, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit and the whole earth falls into darkness because the earth is grieving and the temple, uh, the, tor- the curtain of the temple gets torn in two and everything is torn asunder and nothing is okay and it looks like once again, the world's won. The rational is overcome the irrational. It doesn't make sense. There's no more hope. Everything is lost. What are we to do? And it's quiet. And there's a Sabbath day. And the people are waiting. And those are, are, are struggling. They're, they're sitting in the upper room going, I don't know. I thought he was it. I thought this was different. I thought things were going to change. And then give it up for the women. Because the women can't wait. And they gather their stuff. And their oils and their perfumes. And they're going to go and take care of him. Because they can't let him just rot in the tomb. And now there's a huge rock. A huge rock in front of the hole. And they don't know what they're going to do about that. But they still come. Right? They gather their stuff. And they come and they're like, I, I, what are we going to do about the rock? I'm not sure what we're going to do about the rock. But you almost see them saying, I don't know, but God will probably handle the rock. And they walk up, and as they get close enough, the rock has moved away. And in there is an angel, and the angel looks at them and says, he is not here, for he has been raised. As he said, come and see the place where he lay. And history shook and everything changes in that moment. That we can look at the irrational and say, I know a God who takes dry bones and makes them alive. I know a God who takes dead things and makes it alive. And he will not abandon me to the grave so I can live with hope. And this is the gospel.
This is the moment we all love. This is why we love stories. This is why we love movies. It's why we love good shows. It's why we love good books because it touches a part of us that we need to be spoken into. And so Tolkien, uh, the great author of The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and so many things, he says this, the birth of Christ is the catastrophe of man's history. The resurrection is the catastrophe of the story of the incarnation. The story begins and ends in joy. It has preeminently the inner consistency of reality. There is no tale ever told that men would rather find was true and none which so many skeptical men have accepted as true on its own merits. For the art of it has a supremely convincing tone of primary arts, that is of creation. To reject it either leads to sadness or to wrath. What if the greatest story you know wasn't just a story but was true? What if the hope of the world wasn't just a fairy tale but happened in history? What if you had a reason to have hope? What if you had strength to stand under an irrational world? This is what the gospel brings us. And with Jesus bursting forth from the tomb and the women running back to the men to tell them the story, that ends volume one of this great trilogy. Volume two will start. We'll tell that story next week. Holy Father, we thank you for being a God who gives us peace and hope. We thank you for being a God who loves us amidst all of our stuff. Lord, we are amazed that you come to us, that you you give us yourself. And we ask at this time that we have the the, the strength from you to be able to hold on to hope. For those of us in this room, Well, all of us, we are looking at something that is a valley of dry bones. There is something that just feels like death. Maybe we've lost someone close to us. Maybe we've had a scary diagnosis. Maybe there's a relationship, a job, and it just feels like death. We trust you the one who takes dry bones and brings them together to make it okay. And if not in this life, then in the life to come. And so, Lord, we patiently wait with hope. We are grateful that volume one ends so gloriously. We anticipate the story you're going to tell us next week. And we thank you for being a God who takes us and transforms us. Lord, take these moments as we submit them to you and make them life-changing opportunities of grace and mercy.